Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce you to our guest today, who has been in the mergers and acquisitions space for over 20 years. She's one of only three women in the US that holds a mergers and acquisitions master intermediary. She runs Siler Tucker Incorporated and has helped over a thousand businesses reach their dream exit, not only through selling the business, but helping them get ready for a sale, optimizing their operations, their profitability, and really preparing everything that needs to be true to get the best possible price in an exit. She recently published her newest book, Exit Rich. And when she's not helping businesses exit, she is spending time with her daughter. So with all of that, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Marcel. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'm excited to dive into today's topic because I think for a lot of people listening, this is what they're doing all of this work for, right? They're preparing for this outcome. I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, this is kind of perceived as like winning the Super Bowl, right? Like, did you really do it if you didn't have an exit at the end? So I think it's very topical and something that a lot of folks will gain a lot from, even if they don't plan on selling. I think there's a lot of aspects of preparing for a sale or thinking about making your business sellable that just make it a better business to run. So really excited to dive in. Um, before we do that, I'd love to know what brought you into this mergers and acquisition space in the first place. So, um, you know, I, I tell you, I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to sell companies. <laughs> I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always owned many different businesses in different verticals. I went into franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting, was actually a partner with several different franchisors, an equity partner. And I found myself kept saying no, no, no to buyers because so many buyers would come to me and want to buy an existing business. And we didn't have existing businesses. We were only working with new franchises. And all of a sudden, one day, I just kind of said, why am I saying no? I should be saying yes. And that's really as simple as it is how I decided to start my mergers and acquisitions business is because I kept, I, I was done turning people, you know, down. And um, I believe in saying yes, yes, yes. You know, I believe in the universe and I believe in law of attraction. So that's really what led me into my mergers and acquisitions business. Very interesting. So, you know, you really got pulled into it. Um, I'm curious, there's a lot of people listening that probably can't imagine buying an existing business as opposed to just starting one on their own. But this is a really common practice. Why do people buy existing businesses as opposed to starting up from scratch? Well, it is a common practice and it's always been a common practice because, you know, there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States. At any given time, 40% are up for sale, 30 to 40% are up for sale. And why start a business when you can buy an existing business that has a proven track record, has employees in place, Many of them operate in all six cylinders, you know, if, if not all six cylinders, all six P's, half of the six P's, and they're already in revenues, they're already making profit. So why start a new business 
when you combine existing business. When it's important to start a new business, in my opinion, is when you're starting something that's completely unique, something that services a niche, something that solves a problem that somebody else is not doing. You know, when it doesn't make sense to start a new business is how many more coffee shops do we need? How many more ice cream stores do we need? You know, when you're looking at starting, you know, one of those brick and mortar locations, you really should look at buying an existing business versus a startup. Absolutely. So I want to ask you a a question that sounds so simple, but I'm sure the answer is much more complicated, much more nuanced, but bear with me while we work through this. Let's imagine we have two agencies. They've got the exact same amount of revenue. What determines one's going to sell for X multiple, the other one's going to sell for the higher end of the multiple? What's the difference between somebody that doesn't get a whole lot of the potential value out of their business versus an agent that's an agency that's going to sell towards the top end of what's reasonable for that kind of a business. And are you talking about digital agency, digital marketing agency? Just Primarily digital. Yeah. yeah. So digital services. So it's, website probably, it's going to be a multiple of EBITDA, not revenue, mm-hmm. unless it's a SaaS business. That's why I'm in the SaaS business, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to get a multiple. So you're in SaaS. You're not in digital marketing, right? That's right. So, so you're going to get we're multiple. Looking for that See, top line. you're smart. You're going to get yeah. multiple revenues. For so, the agencies yeah, so, out there, it's EBITDA. So that's on profit. That's typically where the multiple is going to be. It's EBITDA, right. It's yeah. earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. And let's take it one step further. It's adjusted EBITDA. Mm-hmm. So we got to normalize those financials and add back personal expenses and non-recurring. So, right, let's so if you're underpaying you yourself, owners listening to this, if you're underpaying yourself, it's going to get caught in the due diligence. So just pay yourself a good salary. Well, or not necessarily, because if you're running personal expenses through the business, I can add all that back. Right. So we normalize the financials. We add back personal expenses. We add back non-reincurring. What what we can't add back is cash. (laughs) So no high cash. But um, if you have two agencies, the EBITDA is the same. Here's what makes the difference. The six Ps. The ST six Ps. Let me take you through them real quick. Let's let's take let's go through the Number six one. P's. You got agency one, agency two, EBITDA is the same. People. Do both agencies operate without the owner? Can both agencies operate without the owner? Do they have a management team in place? Do they have the right people in the right seat? Have they answered the who question? Who handles marketing? Who handles customer service? Who handles legal? You know, all of the tasks that are in that agency. That's number one. If you have one agency that's dependent upon the owner and the other one not, there's your competitive advantage right there that will get you a higher price. Makes sense? Let me ask you a question, Michelle. Is it that worth much if it's in the owner's head or is it worth more if it's written down somewhere that can be accessed? It's worth a lot more. And that's the third P, which is processes. (laughs) It's worth a lot more if it's on paper because if it's in the owner's head, look, I just got a call from a little lady whose husband dropped dead of a heart attack. He wanted me to sell his business. Because he left her with a mountain of debt. He has all subcontractors and all the data's in his head. When he died, the business died. So you got to get the data out of your head. So number one, the business can't be dependent upon you. If it is, it'll sell for less than the agency that has the right people in place. Number two is product. Your digital agency, you know, product is your industry, your product, your service. Is it on the way up or is it on the way out? Are they both pretty even as far as a niche that they serve? Am I making sense? Okay. Number three is processes. If digital agency A has great processes, well-documented, designed with the customer experience in mind, and their processes are creating raving fans who give them referrals 
then that's going to sell for more than one that doesn't have process designed around the customer experience, has processes designed around the owner's agenda. Plus, the processes must be productive, efficient, well-documented, policy and procedure manuals, SOP checklist, employee handbooks, non-competes for the upper management in those digital agencies. Policy procedure manuals. A lot of digital agencies don't have employees. They have 1099s working out of their houses, right? Then the other P, here's the highest value driver right here, proprietary. Proprietary can take you from a five to six to eight to 10 multiple of EBITDA. There are six pillars to proprietary. So number one, how well branded is digital, digital, digital agency A, digital agency B. The more well-branded you are in your niche, the more your company will sell for. If this company is more well-branded, it's going to get a higher multiple than this company. Make sense? Um, number two, trademarks. Do they have any federal trademarks? Is their company federal trademarked or do they just have a state trademark? And that owner never checked the federal database to make sure that they could actually use that name. Companies receive cease and desist letters every single day. They've been in business 5, 10, 15, 20 years because they never check the database, the federal database, to make sure that they can use that company name. Um, they're not going to have any patents, but they could have contracts. So contracts are very valuable, especially if you have a subscription model in your digital agency where it automatically renews. Reoccurring revenue. So a con so contracts with reoccurring revenue will get you a higher multiple. In contracts, it won't. Here's the caveat to contracts. Make sure you have the two-sentence transferability clause that says this contract is transferable upon a new entity. Because if the buyer refuses to do a stock sale, 98% of all sales are asset sales, and the consumers, the clients, fail or refuse to sign consent to transfer, your deal could fall apart. So you want that transferability language. Um, databases. That could really get you a higher multiple as well. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. So can your, is your database, is it nurtured on an ongoing basis, can be retargeted, can be repurposed? Um, does your digital agency have any celebrity endorsements, any radio personality endorsing it? Um, I always tell my e-commerce businesses, you know, if you can get any of those top positions on Amazon, Wayfair, Etsy, eBay, buyers will pay a higher multiple. Makes sense? Right. And so in the, the agency space, is, this would be like clutch rankings, things like that. So agency correct. databases, agency awards, et cetera. Agency awards, absolutely. Um, any type of online proof, you know, social proof that your agency has won these awards and, you know, has great success. And then Patreons is, is the fifth P and digital agencies probably don't have to worry about this because they probably have that customer diversification. They don't really have customer concentration, right? Well, I mean, that's actually not necessarily true. We, we do see a lot of agencies that have a customer concentration problem where 25, 30% of the revenue is made up of like one or two big whale clients that pay them a ton of money. And if they go away, it's, you know, bad news for the agency. So, so that's a good one so, to call out. Yeah, so then let's call that out. So most businesses follow the 80-20 rule, where 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. So if you have 70% of your revenue coming from 30% of your clients, I mean, that could be an issue, right? Is that what you Correct. just said? Yeah, yeah, yeah you so don't want to lose one client. And 
lose a lot of revenue. Well, I mean, we were selling a media company, a media digital agency that um, have five clients who are selling between 10 and 15 million. But they cater to casinos and they have five casinos. They lost two <laughs> during the process. Revenues dropped in half, even a dropped in half. They were no longer sellable. <laughs> we ended up merging them with another media company. So you got to look at customer concentration versus customer diversification and then profits, you know, um, I always say lack of profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not running on one of the other five P's. But um, you got to look at, you know, how not only how profitable are you, but how sustainable is it? Do you have, you know, reoccurring revenue? Do you have memberships? Do you have a subscription model? Because all of that will drive multiple. Hmm. Makes all sense. right. So there Did you have it. Did that answer your question? It does in depth, the six P's. And there's some things that I want to double click on here, but I want to just take a moment to acknowledge how thorough that is. And for those of you who have been listening to the show, you know, we talk about a lot of these things. Um, and one of the big reasons why I think this is so important is you can have cool clients, you can have lots of revenue, you can do all that stuff all day long. But when it comes to investing in the value of your business, a lot of the stuff you do on the back end that the client never sees, like your processes, like your documentation, like your systems, like the way your PL looks at the end of every month or every quarter or every year, that stuff makes a big, big, big difference. Um, and just think about you know, the difference between having a 15% EBITDA and a 25% EBITDA when you're multiplying that by four, five, six. I mean, I'm curious, actually, Michelle, for this industry, what do you typically see the spectrum of valuations being, you know, on the low end to maybe the higher end that you've seen? Well, again, it's all about EBITDA. So businesses that have less than a million dollars in EBITDA will typically trade from anywhere from two to four, four and a half, mm -hmm. depending upon the synergies. Companies that have over a million EBITDA We'll typically go for five and up. All right, five and up. So there you go. Yeah. Get so to that million plus. Million EBITDA. EBITDA get you a much higher multiple. There are a lot more buyers. Now pay attention to this because most most people don't realize this. There are a lot more buyers for companies over a million in EBITDA than there are for buyers under a million in EBITDA. So there's a lot more chances to create that bidding war. There's a lot more chances to bring hundreds of buyers to the table to maximize value. The other thing to take into consideration, too, on company A and company B is projections. What are they? might be even right now, but what are they projecting over the next five years? Who is their client market? Who is their clients that they service? You know, what does that look like in the next five years? So we also take into consideration projections and so does the buyer. Interesting. And what are some of the primary reasons why though there's way more buyers that are looking for, I know you alluded to this earlier, but you know, looking for businesses that have more traction. There are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. <laughs> That's <laughs> a simple the answer. There's not that many businesses that are over a million dollars in EBITDA. It's that yep. simple. So you got your private equity groups and there's thousands of them that are always searching for companies over three million EBITDA. Then you got your competitors and strategics that are always searching for companies over money and EBITDA. So there's more buyers for good businesses and there are good businesses to buy. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. 
So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. And of course, it goes without saying that if you have trouble getting good information out of your financials, if you have trouble getting good processes going in your agency, then it's probably going to be hard for the uh, people doing the diligence process to get that. So it behooves you to do that now so that when you get to a sale, it's not something you have to create for the yeah. first time. I'm sure you've been through that, Michelle. Um, you know, what does that process look like? I'm sure it's not fun. Well, and they want to see, and that's, you know, I'm glad you brought that up about processes and, and policy and procedure manuals because they're going to want to see all that paper. You know, and that's another thing I don't want them to see in the beginning, because especially if it's a competitor, I don't want them really going through all your processes. <laughs> I don't really want them going through your secret sauce. You know, I really want them to get through the financials first, sign off on the financials, and then we'll start going through the rest of the stuff. But yeah, they're going to want to look at everything. They're going to want to look at all your paper. And that's why we work with our clients ahead of time before we bring them LOIs, before we go through due diligence to get all their ducks in a row so they're not caught with their pants down. So what is what is a really quick diligence process look like versus um, you know what might typically happen with somebody trying to do this on their own and it gets dragged out? Well, you know, a quick process, so it really always depends upon the transaction, right? There's so many variables that come in play. It depends upon the size of the transaction. It depends upon who your buyer is. I mean, we're working with a private equity group right now that's giving us an offer in a $70 million company, but they have like 10 other deals on a contract. So they're dragging their feet, dragging their feet, dragging their feet. And I'm like, listen, we're not starting due diligence then until you're ready, you get these other deals done. So it really depends upon who the buyer is, everything like that. If you're trying to do it on your own, it's just going to be a mess. You, you got to have an attorney. You got to have a CPA. You got to have an advisor. What we do is we set everything up in our data room. If you're doing it on your own, you're going to have to set up your own data room. What a nightmare that is because we want to control who sees what. So we set up data rooms. We give access first to the legal team. The legal team, legal slash accounting team has to look at everything first, then give us permission to show it to the buyer. Because I want to make sure that the legal team is comfortable with what we're about to give to the buyer. So we give that the legal team access first, and we're the ones controlling the entire data room. Then once they agree, then we give access to the buyers, and we keep up with what they looked at, what they downloaded, et cetera, because they're busy. And they'll say, oh, well, you never, you never gave us that. And we're like, yeah, we did. It's in the data room. Oh, no, I never saw that. Well, yeah, you downloaded it on this date at this time. <laughs> <laughs> so we keep records of everything in the data room and who touched what and when they touched it. This is a very tough process to try to ever manage on your own. And deals always fall apart in due diligence. Almost every single deal will fall apart in due diligence. And that's why when we take offers, when we take LOIs, you have to sign an exclusive but we don't, so we can get backup offers. Now, you can look at it, you can't sign it, but we got people waiting in the wings that if this still falls apart, we got another buyer for you. We're never gonna put all of our buyers in one buyer's basket. So, I mean, I, the analogy I wanna, or the comparison I wanna draw for those digital agency owners out there, it's, you know, it's be the difference between uh, trying to build a website for a client and having no process on getting their copy, getting their images, getting their creative, and having to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for all that versus what you're describing is having all of that ready to go 
in a solution of software that's that's prepared to you know create very precise access and keep records and you know streamlining that process speeds things up because there's so much less back and forth there's so much less waiting for you know you to create the thing to share it over to the lawyers to get the approval then to send that over to the client you're streamlining this entire process what i think is key and of course if we're talking about a quick diligence process let's say for a 70 million dollar deal i don't know maybe that's a few months if all it's of a sudden that doubles about or triples. It's typically about 60 to 90 days. It's typically yeah. about 60 days, 60 to 90. Again, it depends upon how many other deals I got going on. But it's right. usually about 60 days, you know, sometimes 90. I've seen it go as long as four or five months before. Um, and then here's the other thing. You don't want to be emailing that stuff over. Because <laughs> no. number one, it's not secure. I've seen also, Marcel, I've seen a lot of business owners go set up a Google Drive. Do not set up a Google Drive. Google is not secure. You never want to drop your financials into Google. I have a client that just did that, just sent us a whole slew of financials that were taking on to sell for about $30 million, and they just dropped them all in Google. I'm like, what are you doing? I set up a data room for you to drop all your financials in that's secure. So you don't want to email that stuff. You don't want to set up, uh, put it in Google. You could set up a Dropbox, but you can't control the Dropbox. It's very difficult to, to, to really have reporting from the Dropbox. You need a data room. And so the, the fact that you just said, I've seen it go as long as five months tells me that your process is very fast because five months for a lot of the other people I've spoken to that have gone through acquisitions is a quick timeline for a lot of people. And I think that's that speaks to the, the benefit of having all this stuff sorted out ahead of time, having good systems, having good process. So um, and, you know, that could be a big difference between getting a deal done and not getting a deal done if it if it drags out for too long. So, Michelle, I want to finish with uh, one last important question for anyone that's listening that has a thought in their mind about, you know, maybe exiting their business someday. What advice do you have for them? What should they start doing today to make that uh, a lot better tomorrow? Well, first of all, everybody needs to read Exit Rich. <laughs> so in a minute, I'll tell them how to get Exit Rich and all the bonuses you can get now because the books, the book comes out, the book actually launches in June. Um, but first and foremost, what I tell everybody, all everyone you should always plan your exit. Even if you don't sell, plan your exit. Start, like Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. So I walk everybody through what I call the STGPS exit model. You know, number one, when you want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out Google Maps and you plug in your destination, right? All business owners need a, is a destination. Business owners don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. So right now, every single business owner should pick a sales price. Say, hey, I want to sell for $20 million. Whatever your number is, pick a number. And say, I want to sell for $20 million. Then what does a GPS exit model need to know? Where you're starting from? What is your current location? In other words, what is your current valuation? Most business owners have never even had a business valuation. It is financial suicide. We go to the doctor once a year to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. We drive a car to the mechanic to get an annual tune-up, but we don't know what our business is worth. You know, so you need a, an annual valuation checkup. Because there are events to increase valuation, there are events to decrease valuation. So you always want to know what your business is worth today. So let's say you want to sell for $20 million and it's worth $5 million today. What's the next thing you need to know? Time frame. Let's say you want to do it in seven years. Then you need to know who your buyer is going to be. I already told you five types of buyers. So it probably would be a private equity group, strategic competitor, or sophisticated. Then you need to know where's my numbers need to be. If I want to sell for $20 million, where's my EBITDA got to be? Right? So even it's going to have to be around $4 million, three to $4 million, depending upon your synergies. Buyers buy synergies. So I would tell everybody, plan your GPS exit because when you build a business on the six Ps, 
which is people, product, processes, proprietary patrons, and profits, you will have a sustainable, scalable business. And when something happens and you're ready to sell, rather it's health issues, partner disputes, divorce, unfortunately, hopefully not death, pandemic, you'll have a sellable asset. Because every time a business owner thinks about selling, they don't have a sellable asset. They don't have a business that actually somebody wants to buy. Most business owners have created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that works for them. And there's the big idea that I think uh, is is a key take home is even if you never sell the business, even if you never get somebody to write you a big check or, or give you a, a bunch of value in their company for your business, those six P's will make that to your point, something that you don't need to go to every day to build value that you don't need to be working in every day to get, you know, an annuity and to get cash coming into your bank account. And so that in many ways could be your exit. It could just be the fact that, you know what, I, I've, I've, I've organized this business such that I don't have a job there anymore. And yeah. now I just get to reap the fruits of my labor. And for a lot of people, that's a totally fine exit, even if it's never a big check. Um, so it's just sound business at the end of the day. It sounds like Michelle, it's, it's not really much more. It's, it's complicated and it's nuanced, but it's also very simple in that build a great business and that business will be easier to sell. Absolutely. And so can I tell them where to get Exit Rich? I would love for you to tell them where they can follow you, grab the book, and learn more about how they can maximize their exit. Okay. And we'll put all of that in the show notes for you if you're listening. So they can follow me on social media. I'm everywhere, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. I will have um, my team send you those links. And then the book. So Exit Rich comes out in June, June 23rd. But you don't have to wait till June 23rd. You can go to ExitRichBook.com today, ExitRichBook.com. For $24.79, which is less than Amazon, we will email you the digital download today so you can start reading Exit Rich today. We'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep for no additional shipping for anyone that lives in the United States. Plus, we'll give you a lifetime membership. Now, this is only good before the book launches. We'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. We have video content, me doing deep dives into these different strategies, techniques that I've taught over the last 20 years in the trenches, plus documents, documents to operate your business and to sell your business. We have sample SOP checklist, org charts, policy and procedure manuals, employee handbooks, non-competes, sample LOIs, letter of intents to sell your business, purchase agreements, due diligence checklist, and closing docs. All the documents you need to operate your business and sell your business are there in the Exit Rich Book Club membership for your review and your immediate download. These documents will cost you three to $4,000 if you went to an attorney to recreate. Plus, we're giving you a free 30-day membership into Club CEOs, which is a mastermind where we do Q&As, hot seats, really ask those tough questions so we can help business owners pivot and build that sustainable, scalable, and when they're ready, sellable business. All for $24.79. That's like less than lunch. <laughs> Michelle, what a compelling offer. Uh, and. <laughs> you know, indicative of the value that you brought to the episode today. So for all those of you who are listening, I think this is getting released on the 16th. So there's not a lot of time. Make sure you check out the show notes, get access to the book, get access to the bonuses. And uh, with that, Michelle, thank you so much for bringing so much value to such a short time frame. It's amazing how much knowledge you were able to unpack in just 30 minutes. We really appreciate that. And for all of the free goodies that you're offering our listeners today, uh, you've been fantastic. And hopefully we'll have you back again in the future. I would love to come back. And my main website is SylerTucker.com. SylerTucker.com. I would love to come back. Thank you so much, Marcel. It's been a pleasure. Like. 
Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast, I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this, and it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
Likewise.